Hello and welcome to the Write for Your Life podcast, a show about creative writing, copywriting, reading and the ever-changing publishing industry. Bandwidth for September has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5 and they really are wonderbar. Check them out at cashfly.com, that's C-A-C-H-E, fly, and do let them know that you heard all about them here on 5x5. I'm Ian Broom, and today, in an all-new setting, I am joined by... Manuela Boyle. Manuela Boyle, back from the good old days. Back from the good old days. It's been a while. I'm glad to be back. I don't think I can ever fill Donna's shoes, but I'm going to try and, you know, come up with some good good comments this week for your listeners. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> um, so for those of you who who've uh, only joined the podcast recently, especially since we uh, moved to 5x5. Manuela was on um, a a great number of uh, early episodes of uh, the Right for Life podcast, back when it was even more ramshackle than it is now. Um, And uh, we we worked together, didn't we, for a number of years? We worked together. We still work together in some ways now. We do still work together. You know, our lives have moved on, but we we find time and ways to work together, and that's that's a good thing. And here we are again, working together, and, you know, it's going to be a good show, I think. Indeed, I would go as far to say as we might be friends. Well, you know, there've been we've had our moments, but yeah, we we still are friends. I think. I should say uh, before we go any further that, uh, that things may sound a little different. Um, uh, for one, whereas um, regular listeners will know that Donna uh, records from uh, Copenhagen in her house where she lives, and we do it over Skype. Uh, Manuela is right here with me. We are sat at my kitchen table. It's not quite the plush studio that a lot of podcasts uh, use to record with, but um, it's certainly a table, and it has on it some notes um, and some uh, two cups of tea, a computer, a microphone, and... Um, um, a bracelet that's been removed because of uh, the sound quality, so it doesn't jangle too much. A giant lollipop stick. Yep, with a face on it, from the, just fresh from the doctors earlier. Nice. And, um, and and so if you hear a little background, and our elbows, our elbows are occasionally on the table, so we will do our best to keep the noise down, but um, uh, this, is a, this, is a, this is a working environment, so um, apologies in advance. So today we're going to talk about, we've got a couple of sponsors, I should mention that, we've got sponsors later on to this week, we've got MailChimp, fantastic, and we've got SmartThings, which is new to me, but sounds marvellous. I'll talk about those two organisations later on. First, I've got a new website Tell us about your new website, Ian. It sounds great. I'm all ears. Well, uh, speaking of sponsors, everyone knows who, uh, who's who been listening recently that uh, w- one of our regular sponsors is Squarespace. They sponsor a lot of shows on 5x5. Five five, and I've been I, I've switched from WordPress to Squarespace. What have uh, you done? I've switched from WordPress to Squarespace. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and it's all gone very, very smoothly, right up until the very last moment. But it was nothing to do with Squarespace. It was all to do with my own incompetence but the website is there it's live now if you go to www.ianbroom.com don't go to just ianbroom.com without the www because you won't see anything and i've not seen anything myself for several hours keep refreshing not realizing that if i just put the prefix in it would all be fine anyway no matter so the new website's up there it's got uh, a page for the podcast um it's also got um information about my freelance work and uh, all the other gubbins as well. I'll be adding to it later, uh, uh, but I, it, it's up and it's it's different. And I'm glad to glad to get it done. I'm going to start blogging again a bit with a bit more a bit more um, regularity. Well, gusto. Uh, both regularity and gusto, I think, but with a bit more care. Why care? Why? What's care got to do with it? What makes you think that that you need to blog with some more care? Was that not a Tina Turner song? 
What's care got to do? No, who was it? It was love. Oh, it's it? love. <laughs> Um, I don't know what kind of Tina Turner you've been listening to. No, me neither. Um, it, um, what I mean is, I well, I sort of stopped blogging for a while, didn't I? Concentrated on the the podcast, doing this. Yes. And I got kind of angry at, uh, at, at blogging in general, having started off really well. As you did, a, yes, you did start well, in fairness. I, I made a fair old start. And actually, I've posted to kind of announce the relaunch of the site it's not really a relaunch it just looks different but um i've I've posted a blog post with a a kind of a potted history with some screenshots of the right for your life blog which later became my you know my name in the url um it was was quite interesting going back i used the wayback machine do you know about the wayback machine i don't know about the wayback machine what is it what on earth is it the wayback machine we'll put this in the show notes but um uh, do you know where you find the show notes now this is the most unfair question that anyone's ever asked anyone there's no way you could possibly know the show notes (laughs) <laughs> or at the end of the post and on the podcast website? No, that's a pretty good guess. They are they are at the end of the post, but they're on the they're on the five by five side, Joanne. I should have uh... nearly right, nearly got it right. I would have known that if I hadn't <laughs> had a glass of prosecco earlier due to an, a prior lunch engagement. I might have even been more on the ball at that point. You can find show notes for this week's episode at 5x5.tv slash WFYL slash 129. How did you not get that? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll try harder next time. That's if I'm even invited back. Indeed. And, um, and that will include a link to the Wayback Machine. It's just, a, it's just a site you can go on to. And if you type in any URL, then it, it, it kind of... It will give you a series of dates um, where the Wayback Machine... I don't know what the technology is behind it. Mine's very Scooby-Doo, actually. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It took a snapshot of your your website, or any website at a particular time. So I was able to type in rightforyourlife.net and and go back to various dates, and and I managed to find a screen grab of all the different versions of my site over the years. Anyway, I've posted... What a natty website. Indeed, it's very handy. So I, I use that to tell this kind of positive history of the website. But basically, I kind of I, I stopped blogging because I, I I kind of got a bit fed up with it. And I, I talk about this in this blog post. And I just I got sick of all the link posts. Sorry, not link posts. All the uh, list posts. And I I liked link posts, so I became kind of a faux tech blogger who didn't blog about tech, but you know, doing lots of link posts. And I even started doing that again earlier this year when I changed the site to be called. Uh, change the blogs be called very meta it was all I, I basically feel like I've made a mess of what was a very productive very handsome young blog so this relaunch is an attempt to kind of yes get back on track and it sounds like a valiant attempt actually and I think you're probably just a bit too hard on yourself actually because you know you're right there you're you're doing the thing you are blogging you're being active you're being productive and I think really that's half the battle in a lot of cases to to be actually going on doing that thing I too got fed up with blogging but probably for different reasons probably much more shallow reasons than you <laughs> laziness could have been a factor who knows or just thinking well actually I'm going to do something else for a while and I set my blog back up a different blog back up as well but the reality reality is I've only got about three blog posts on there um so yeah it's it's hard to keep going sometimes it is hard to keep going and there's also I think um, especially if you're trying to become a published author and you're trying or, or you are a published author in my case you do kind of feel a pressure to have this blog that gets updated all the time yes. if not a blog then a podcast or whatever it might be you, you, there is this pressure to to maintain something and I, th- I think that's a really interesting point that you just uh 
just made there about wanting to go on to something else. I think in reality, I just mm. kind of got a bit tired of trying to come up with a new blog post every week. It, yes. It's not like I was some sort of super blogger who was posting every day. I was literally just doing it more or less once a week. But That's I, still fairly frequent, though, actually, to sort of come up with quality content once a week, I think, you know, in fairness. It, well, it's definitely more doable. Um, but it, but I think I did want to move on to something else. And I, the, the podcast was starting to take off more than the yeah. blog was. I found yeah. it more interesting to do. And so I kind of naturally went in in a, a different direction. But I've always felt like I should still be a blogger, almost like I couldn't possibly stop. Stop blogging, yeah. But of That's because you were a writer in a technological age, perhaps. And so the blog is, in some ways, the natural format to gravitate towards, isn't it? I guess so. I, I, I think, yeah, I, I guess so. I think there is just also this, this added pressure of needing an author platform and needing to keep this this thing going, this thing updated. And, and of course, because it was successful in a very small way for in, in the grand scheme of things, but, you know, I was, it was, you know, it had a, a few thousand subscribers. That still does. Um, you, you kind of feel obliged, like, yes. almost like, again, you can't possibly stop now. You've built up, you've built up an audience, goddammit, and you can't, you can't disappoint your, uh, your public, your adoring public. You've got the audience, what are you going to do? Keep them hanging or sort of direct them to a podcast? You know, you, I can understand that. I can understand that pressure, but not having had a blog that's had lots of readers, uh, you know, my dilemma wasn't perhaps as <laughs> as angsty as yours was. But it's um, we we've, we do have a, a, a shared project that we worked on where we did sort of just stop and went out on while well, we believed ourselves to be on top, so to speak. We did. Yes, we did. We ran a spoken word night together called uh, Words Aloud. Some of you may have even been to one of our spoken word nights. And it was great. It was kind of way more successful than we could possibly have anticipated. And, um, and we kind of had a packed house every month. And... Um, and then we just kind of stopped, and it was because mm. it was because those of us who were organising it just decided to move on to different things. And actually, that was we finished words aloud, and then the month later, I set up the very first edition, the very first pages of uh, Write for Your Life. So it, there's no reason why people can't do that now. I think yep. if, if you're a, if you're a, a writer, an author, or any kind of blogger, I suppose you know don't feel like you have to do it forever. Any project, I suppose. Don't well, that's right. I mean, it, you it, you know, part of success and is and sort of controlling, well, developing your brand as a writer, or an author, or an artist is it's knowing when to stop something and, and and knowing when it's run its course and when it's time to diversify and do something new. Indeed. Anyway, so I've got a new website uh, uh, up and running, and uh, go look at it. Our first sponsor this week is Mailchimp.com. MailChimp.com means easy email newsletters. MailChimp helps you design newsletters, share them on social networks, integrate with services you already use, and track your results. It's like your own personal publishing platform. They help you customize your sign-up form to match your brand, so you can share it on your website and integrate it into your Facebook page. You can even collect sign-ups from an iPad or laptop. Importing an existing list into MailChimp is a snap no matter its format. You can also personalise everything your subscribers see, including sign-up forms and confirmation emails. There's never been a better time to try MailChimp. With their entrepreneur plan, if you have under 2,000 subscribers, you can send 12,000 emails per month forever. Just visit MailChimp.com 5x5 to learn more. Thank you to MailChimp for supporting 5x5 and the Right for Your Life podcast. Um, so, Hilary Mantel... 
Hilary Mantel. Hilary Mantel. What's she been up to, eh? She has been in the news again, spiking her mouth up about the British establishment and getting into all sorts of hot hot water, isn't she? She's a, she's caused a, 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 a brouhaha. Um, it's definitely a brouhaha. <laughs> it's not isn't it's it's a brouhaha I think is perhaps more serious as a than a rumpus, isn't it, actually? It's uh where would you put a ruckus? A ruckus is probably what I meant to say, was it? No, no, I think you can have a rumpus. Um well I think the brouhaha is like a category 10 storm or something when it comes to, you know, literary situations that that go wrong in the public eye. I think it's probably one down from a full-on set too. <laughs> so, Hilary Mantel, Booker, twice Booker Prize winning author, um, um, wonderful uh, British author. She hasn't had a book out for a couple of years. I suspect she's working on book three. And she's also, mm. I think, been she's, she's been writing a short story collection, which I believe is either out now or out soon. Anyway, Hilary Mantel, very well-known author, um, as I'm sure you all know. Um, she, uh, she wrote a short story, which was to be published in The Telegraph in the UK. That's right. She got a big commission, I think, for said piece, and um, and they then received said piece from her, and they decided to pull it because um, uh, they are uh, a, a conservative leaning, a Tory paper yes. in the UK. Um, um, and her sto- short story was called "This Is it the Assassination." The Assassination of Margaret Thatcher. The Assassination of Margaret Thatcher. So you know what you're getting with that title. I mean, I don't know if there was a working title beforehand, but but really, I'm sorry if the commissioning editor knew that that was the title. What on earth were they thinking? Have you read it? Yes, I have read it. Have Ian. you? Okay. I have. Okay. Yes, okay. Well, I tell, have. Tell us. About oh it. no, <laughs> no. Yes, I, d- I have read it actually. Um, yes. So. What happens in the story, and um, we'll put the, the link, because it's on The Guardian, the story, in the show notes. I won't, I won't spoil it too much for you, but effectively it's, it's kind of based, I think, on a, on a fantasy that Hilary Mantel um, sort of had or entertained briefly uh, in her mind and thought whenever she was living in Windsor, um, probably in the, well, in the 80s, she thought to herself, what would happen if... I believe she actually caught sight of Margaret Thatcher as well, and that's what caused her to have this sort of this kind of thought in her mind. What would happen if, you know, the course of history might have changed at this moment if she had decided to assassinate the Prime Minister randomly, which does happen. Obviously, there's been countless cases of, um, of well, not countless, but some very high-profile cases of, obviously, um, state leaders being assassinated, terrible, terrible things. But, you know, if an artist can't put forward uh, some of these ideas in fiction, then, you know, it's it's a very sort of strange world we live in indeed. Yes, I understand why there might be sensitivities about um, this story, but at the same time, our artists should be allowed to express ourselves. Anyway, I'm digressing slightly. So Hillary wrote the story. I've read the story. It's a good story. I didn't think it was amazing. I've read her other, her other novels and I've really enjoyed those. But it but it grew on me as it went along. And it's really a, a, a woman who um, probably is loosely based on, on, on Hillary, I would have thought. Living in a flat in Windsor, uh, she needs to get something in her house fixed. Someone rocks up and comes in and it takes... It, go, it goes from there that actually it's a terrorist who's sort of come along to her house and knows Margaret Thatcher is in the sort of nearby hospital and is going to take a pot shot at her. That's kind of what the story is. And the Tory, the Tory press and the Tory, the Tories, there were some MPs. The, those, those Tories. <laughs> some of the uh, MPs, uh, uh, Tory MPs have come out and they're absolutely furious about this. They kind of cannot believe that 
um, that um, some. I mean, one of them. What well, I don't know his, his name, but some. Yes. Uh, some some MP. Come uh, on, Bale. I think Lord Bale is it? Maybe. Um, we will fact check a, later. There's a, there's a there's a joke in there somewhere, but I'm not going to go for it. There's um uh, they have said that she should be investigated by the police. Yes, I know. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, I it's know. Bonkers. So they, Hillary Mantel, piece of fiction. Um, about assassinating Margaret Thatcher and MPs, so extremely important people in our country, are claiming that she should be hauled in front of uh, the police and made to explain herself for writing a short story that happens to feature a well-known, in brackets, dead figure. Yes. It's not even like she's still alive. Um, and it, it was all a bit. It was all a bit. Um, Satanic verses, wasn't it? Yes, it did get it did get close to that. Actually, it seems to, extraordinary in modern day Britain that that there would be such a strong reaction. And I think what's happened, I mean, I certainly find that I find the whole thing preposterous and also fascinating. But I mean, it seems very strange that that in modern day Britain that an author, especially a, a you know a decorated author, actually um, should be hauled over the coals in in such a way for. Um, well, yes, piece of, publishing a piece of fiction about a prime minister who is no longer with us, who divided the country anyway. So I, I can't quite understand it. I can only think that she's ruffled some establishment feathers, and and clearly it's another example. And there's been a few very serious, much more serious examples of this in the past in the past few months of what happens when you sort of um, come up against the establishment and 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 sort of cross a, a line that perhaps you you know is an invisible line until you cross it. Yeah, I mean, and she was also, Hilary Mantel was horribly misquoted and there was another brouhaha. It probably, it probably was more of a full-on set too, actually, at the time, yeah. when she did a, a speech, uh, a, a, which men- part of which mentioned um, Kate Middleton. Um, what do we call her? Duchess of Cambridge. Duchess, that's the one. Um, and uh, And she was... Uh, sympathising with her and her position yes. of being presented as this kind of doll figure for the public. And 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 if you actually properly read mm. or listened to uh, Mantel's piece or speech, it, she was clearly sort of, there was an element, of, you know, it really was sympathised with her and saying, you know, what a, what a kind of horrible, un- unenviable position to be in, married to one of the royals. And it was completely transformed and taken out of context. So one suspects that that, that kind of led to uh, to this uh, second uh, brouhaha. Um, but, um, yeah, it's a funny old thing, isn't it? People confusing fiction with real life. And it does happen. I've had it happen to me where people have uh, sort of read the book and then says, oh, you know, almost as if... Um, it happened on your street. Yeah, yeah. Or, 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 that, or that I've... Or that because the, the main character is slightly odd and, and creepy, that in some way that you know, how did you think of that? You know, you, almost you like <laughs> exactly like that's some kind of some kind of route into my own psyche. Now, I'm not saying that in some ways the the art is always an extension of the the the, the artist in some way, yes. and I think I did just describe myself yeah. as an artist. Um, <laughs> um, but come on, there's a line, there's a very not not just a not just a clear line, but a really obvious line between fiction and something that we should all be getting upset about. And it just seems to me this is just another example of our ludicrous mainstream media getting their knickers in a twist for some terrible agenda. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's it's it sells newspapers. It's much more fun, not for Hilary Mantel though, to um, misquote, to twist, and to sell newspapers as a result and get everyone in a in a um, 
how dare they or how dare she type sort of mindset. But I also think there's more going on here, actually. And I think what it is, it's another example in which um, uh, particularly a sort of a woman writer is being accused of of something that is unnatural, actually, um, in the same way many sort of women criminals, for instance, are always thought to be perhaps sometimes... Um, more monstrous than their male equivalents because they're a woman and therefore they should be nurturing or they should be caring or they shouldn't write terrible things about other women not least um, the idea of fantasising about assassinating a, a, the Prime Minister and so I think actually there's a sort of bit of misogyny going on here as well and I think she's dared to sort of publish this story and the establishment don't like it because it's she, she's a woman writer that's saying this about about another woman so I think there was, there's an element of that actually as well plus there's a bit of a, a few things going on there's the sort of archetype of um of um just the sort of the woman writer but there's also this notion where you can't speak ill of the dead and you certainly can't speak ill of someone who was our prime minister so there's just just this old-fashioned um thinking really going on and that's i think what she's sort of suffered because of that and yeah it's it's take on the establishment at, at your peril and we'll we'll discredit you a little bit in in print i think that's that's probably what's gone on I um uh, I loved her r- response. She did a radio interview um, shortly afterwards, and it was only a very small part of it. It wasn't like she had was given not even really given the opportunity to have a, a long response. But I suppose she could have done. I suppose if she had gone on some kind of um, r- rant, they would have been very happy for them to, yes. <laughs> for her to have done that. Um, but she described it as unconscionable. That um, great word, exactly. Great and she word. Said, I can't remember the exact phrase, but it was unconscionable that we shouldn't be uh, that, uh, an author or any kind of artist, I suppose. It shouldn't be that, anything, that something should be off limits in this way. And um, yeah, She's I, dead right. She's dead right, she, give the pun. But, you know, she she is. Nothing should be off limits, actually, should it? But 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 perhaps it's like this... It's, it's It depends, doesn't it? Because some things are clearly more off limits than others. I think it depends what you mean by off limits as well. Um this example, some people considered, or some specific people, um, think it was off limits for reasons that you said. You know, can't speak ill of the dead. You know, this is, um, you know, it's Margaret Thatcher's well, a, yes. a very divisive kind of person, anyway. But even when it comes to topics, there are. I mean, ha- have you ever read a, a, a book where you've thought? Um, I don't know if off limits is quite the right word, but you've just thought. This is too much for me. I'm, near the knuckle. It's, this is so near the near the knuckle. Yes. Occasionally, though, I can't remember many that I've read that I've felt that. What yeah. about you? Are there anything that springs to mind that you've thought, oh, this is a bit much or... Nothing... There is one that one did spring to yeah. mind, but I can't put myself back in my head then as to why I stopped reading. But um, I, when I was younger, I read Irvin Welsh's Marabou Stort Nightmares. I haven't even read Trainspotting. That's it's it's one. Went of, straight for the the very exotic sounding one. <laughs> indeed, it's me. Um, which I loved. Yeah. And I and I remember loving it. I remember it being a bit of a one of the handful of kind of epiphany moments as yes. to wow, this is I, I want to do this yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I can't. I can barely remember anything about the book, and I know for a fact that all the drugs references would have gone way over my head, <laughs> and s- still would now probably. But. Um, so I thought, well, I you know I like Irving Welsh now, and then his I can't remember I can't remember which book, which book it was. It may have been Filth, I'm not sure, but the one that's about necrophilia, for example. I'm not sure what. Yeah, it sounds about right that it was Filth, but I'm not. I haven't read that much of his work actually. Um, 
And I, I think I got so far in and I thought, you know, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I've got the stomach for this. And uh, Give it and to the stopped. local charity shop. <laughs> but, but, I would, but, but I would never have said, well, that book shouldn't have been written. Yes. And even, even yeah, in... That's uh, the difference, isn't it, actually? I think so. To say it should, things, some things are beyond publishing. And also, that was my choice as a reader, to, mm. to stop reading. Mm. You know, if, something yeah. is, if you do consider something to be too much or too off-limits, then, then you have the option to step back. I've stopped reading a couple of books because I just found that the... Actually, maybe this is more to do with the writing than the um, than uh, than the, the, the topic or the very act yes, of it. But, yeah. but swearing, like ludicrously excessive swearing in books, um, I just sometimes just think, oh god, you're just doing that to. It's it's done. It's almost like it's for effects. Yes, almost like and I, it's gratuitous, and it's not add anything to the narrative. I think I know. What you, I know exactly what you're saying. I think, uh, as in real life. Um, a well punctuated swear word has far more impact and resonance if it's used sparingly and appropriately. Very nicely said. Unless you're in Ireland and I can say that being Irish, you know, in which case there's probably a few more allied, I think. <laughs> Possibly. And a few totally invented ones that no one yes. else understands. Yes. But you know what they mean. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. They all more or less mean the same thing. They do, it's true. Um so there's the, I've stopped reading books because of that, but like I say, I think that was probably more to do with the writing where I just thought, Oh come on, that's just you know, you don't this is unnecessary you know, or people don't talk quite like that. Yes. You know, and I I'm not someone who doesn't swear, of course, but anyway, but uh, I, without, I always it's seem to... It's a very interesting topic. I did, I'm sure, yeah, I mean, some some books that are springing to mind, but I don't know if I actually abandoned them, but um, Wetlands was one, I've forgotten the name of the author, a sort of German, British-born German author, um, and that was a very sort of strong uh, book, but it, when it was published, of course, it attracted lots of lots of controversy and helped its sales no end. Uh, and that was just about a kind of woman in hospital and who's obsessed with her bodily fluids. Um, and it was just sort of really, you know, um, explicit descriptions of those kind of things. So that's not going to be to everyone's taste. But do you think there's a chance that people have switched this podcast off by now because of the references to all the unpleasant things? I don't that they might... think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Or is it exciting? But it is an interesting area. And I mean, if you think of, we're just sort of digressing a little bit, but if you think of someone like, for instance, like the British Board of Film Classification, so they obviously have a have a duty that sort of is enshrined in, in law to kind of um, censor certain films. And I'm just thinking, there's not really a kind of similar um, modern day institution that does the same with books, is there? It's probably left to the discretion of, of the editors of the publishing houses. I wonder, I don't think there's such a kind of an equivalent body for, for literature, is there? I don't think so, but we it's a good find point. Out. And art. We should find out. And art, yeah. What's the difference between watching, I mean, I can probably can probably come up with some good reasons for what the difference is, but um, you know, there's no reason I suppose why people under 18 can end up exposed to books and art and music yeah. well, there is, I suppose Mu- we have it on music we do we? have it but that's it's more it gets a parental guidance sticker isn't it isn't this yeah it's just one sticker isn't it yeah. says, this probably has a bit of yeah. swearing in it basically well yeah this is a, this is a very very unpleasant song um, but there's nothing no there isn't anything for books there's a good point uh Obviously, in the in the past, books were much more controlled, sort of in earlier times, weren't they? And there were sort of the famous cases like Lady Chatterley's Lover and so on, and mm. you know that sort of added well, to the cult appeal of a book. But but that's, but I think Mantel is being, she's definitely being um, criticised for something something else. Actually, it's this notion yeah. of 
of um, our states people being sort of sacred and sort of it, it, it's it's more about the sort of importance of of leaders and what's what's appropriate in terms of um, a subject for art I think rather than I don't know it's banned it's banned books week this week I entirely is it really it's almost like this was supposed to be know. you know it would suggest that we put some planning and thought into it but that's not the case it's actually not the case at all it's not the case anyway so um yeah we'll put some links to some of the stuff we've just talked about in the uh, in the show notes but um it would be good to hear what the um listeners think of us think about the old brouhaha as well what you think about hillary mantel and you know that what she's been criticized for it'd be good to hear some of that in any comments or tweets as well indeed after the show and you can get in touch with um you can get in touch with me on twitter at ian broom i-a-i-n-b-o-m-e the scottish spelling Indeed, and um, where can they get in touch with you, Mama? Yes, uh, you can get in touch with me on Twitter as well, where I am Manuela Boyle. Indeed. Uh, we'll probably say that again at the end, but uh, as you mention it now, we might as well go for it. Our second sponsor this week is SmartThings. SmartThings is the easiest way to create a smart home. SmartThings lets you control and automate your home using your smartphone from anywhere. With SmartThings, you can secure your home for a fraction of the cost of a traditional home security system. Stay connected to your family by getting notifications when people come and go. Control and automate your lights and small appliances from wherever you are. Get notified if there's unexpected entry or movement in your home. And get instant alerts to prevent a small leak from causing a major flood. The really powerful thing about SmartThings is that it's an open platform which means that it's compatible with hundreds of devices and there are thousands of things that you can do with the product. To discover them, simply download the free SmartThings iOS or Android app. Start by picking up one of the three smart home security kits, which are designed to help you protect and monitor your home, or one of the four solution kits, which helps you achieve specific goals like automating lights, saving energy, or protecting your home from leaks. In addition to SmartThings sensors and outlets, you can add hundreds of other home automation devices from companies like GE, Schlag, Honeywell or Aeon and even devices like the Nest Thermostat, Dropcam, Philips Hue, Wemo or Sonos. You just add these to your SmartThings app. To get started creating your smart home, visit smartthings.com 5x5 and you can save 10% off the original purchase price of any home security or solution kit by entering the code 5x5 at checkout. For Right For Your Life listeners, solution kits start at just $170 and home security kits start at $350. You'll also get free shipping if you live within the US. That's smartthings.com slash 5x5 and remember to enter the code 5x5 at checkout. Thank you to SmartThings for supporting 5x5 and the Right For Your Life podcast. So I think it's time for us to enjoy a... Listener's question! Um... You are a copywriter. I am a copywriter, yes, like yourself. Like me, uh, like Donna. Listener's question. And um, it's something that we don't often, uh, we often gravitate towards creative writing. Um, but uh, as we have you here, I thought that we should um, ask for some copywriting questions from listeners. And, uh, and we have one. Excellent, let's hear it. This is from um, Jack Lingard on Twitter, whose uh, Twitter byline is, uh, not byline, what, the, what do we call them now? Handles? Hi, handle. All right. Uh, username is uh, Lingard Jack, L-I-N-G-A-R-D-J-A-C-K. And uh, he asks, how do you measure effective copy? In addition to that, is conversion the only measure in your opinion? 
Now, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's, podcast stats are very hard to uh, mm. come by and understand at the best of times, but I don't know how many of all of our listeners, how many people are copywriters. I think most people are probably creative writers. But um, And we recorded a, an episode of the podcast way back when, years ago, which where we talked, I think we did anyway, where we talked about the differences between yes. creative writing and copywriting, copywriting. And where they cross and, and that kind of thing. Um, but I mean, I, I've said before on the podcast, I've always felt like they come not hand in hand, but they definitely complement each other. And you would you would always imagine that if you're a if you are a copywriter for most of the day, um, especially if like me, you kind of specialise in plain English, where you kind of make things really simple. You you would think that that would have a negative effect on your more flouncy creative writing <laughs> that you do. You do in the evenings. I've never found it to be the case. I just feel like one complements the other and it just makes me a better editor more than anything else. And mm. just every, it keeps me sharp, so to speak. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, the idea of measuring effective copy, effective, effective writing in general, mm. I think is really difficult. And it ties in, if we can kind of try and answer two questions in one. Um, we had another question. Uh, from Joe Darnell, who is underscore Joe Darnell with two L's, who says, when do you know, in inverted commas, when do you know that you've become a good writer? So I don't know if we can try and combine these two questions in some way. How do you measure effectiveness, effective effective yeah. copy, but also how do you know that you've become a good writer? How do you know if something's any good or not? Do you have any answers? <laughs> I've got all the answers today. Fantastic. Um, well... Measuring effective copy. You see, this is the thing. On the one hand, my heart says, measure copy. Are you out of your mind? Uh, On the other hand, my head says, well, yes, of course, you've got to be able to measure copy and sort of to know that it's um, going to deliver the purpose that it's it's been written for. Um, I mean, ultimately, most of the time, if you're a copywriter, you measure copy by how happy your clients are with it. You do. That's true. Yep. They will probably measure it, and you will know this beforehand because it's probably part of your brief, but they will measure it probably by how well it, how many, I don't know, web views it yeah. gets, the page views it gets, or how many people bought a particular product, how many, I don't know, it depends what you're writing, but, you know, how many how many people it reached and how, how you know, yes. what, what sort of feedback or response they get from their customers. So if it was in the case of, for instance, a hotel website, um, that's something I've been working on recently, um, you might sort of measure that copy with how many bookings you get or how many inquiries that you get. Um, If it, for instance, is something on social media, well, then that's kind of, that's got some obvious uh, measurement possibilities attached to it in terms of retweets and engagement and so on. Um, But the fact is, I think you're absolutely right what you say there, Ian. The client ultimately is the one who measures whether your copy's been effective or not, because they are the ones um, who are commissioning you to to write that copy. In most cases, they'll have a view on what they want to hear. I think the interesting thing about measuring effective copy is where there's a gap between what the client thinks is effective and good and what a customer thinks is effective and good. And that's always the hardest thing, I think, of the hardest part of agency life and navigating that that journey between, well, between your client and their expectations and what is good for the customer. And, you know, lots of books have been written about it, lots of debates exist about it, and that's one of the reasons that your massive um, retailers like Amazon and and co spend so much time, money and investment on on testing um, web pages just constantly to see um, how well they perform. So, so it, it, that gap between the client and the customer, I think, is something to to focus on because ultimately, 
the customer is always right. Um, they'll either they'll engage with your copy, they'll buy something, um, or they won't. They'll go somewhere else. So I think it's it's down to the customer really. It's true, and the idea of um, or the user, I should say, because it's not always someone buying something, is it? Let's face it. No, it could be someone how well they were able to get from one web page to another. I yeah. suppose. Is conversion the only measure in your opinion? Well, it, I mean, it's probably the most important measure for the customer, but I do think there is an intrinsic nature to copywriting as much as there is to creative writing. I don't know if Joe's question, when do you know that you've become a good writer, I don't know what type of writer he was specifically Mm. referring to, but I suspect creative writing. And you do just know sometimes. You do just know when when something's not right. And usually that's what I think separates the wheat from the chaff, is it's not that someone is a bad writer, just that they fail to recognise where things can be better. Yep. And And we fall into habits, don't we? We fall into bad habits. And one of the things I think I learned from my training as a copywriter um, was actually where to sort of stop my own bad habits and to leave those at the door. And I think that's perhaps when the sort of role of a a mentor is important or someone else reviewing your work, whether it's a peer, a mentor, a manager, a colleague, and they can can help you, you know, and, and that journey from becoming being someone who could write, I suppose, and, and always recognised and praised for that at school, at college, whatever, to then someone who can write really well commercially and quickly, that is, there is quite a journey involved there. And, and I think that other colleagues' feedback is really important, actually, because, you know, it was like when we all worked together in a team, um, we would frequently ask each other for help and um, suggestions, and that was one of the most valuable things of working in a, in a writing team, I think. Indeed, and and again, this is why I say that they're, they're not they're not kind of two completely separate things. Um, you know, if you've written a novel and you and you write copy for a, an agency or freelance by day, the, the processes are pretty similar. It's just that they're kind of you've got a different role almost. It's almost like the role is different. Obviously, yeah. obviously, what you write is different, but um, the the processes that you go through are pretty much the same. You do, you know, you you have like a first draft in both cases. You ideally give it to someone else to read yeah. first in some cases. Hopefully, you'll have a proofreader that isn't you, although that isn't always the case. Sure. Um, uh, but you know, get one if possible. There are lots of sort of processes that you go through that are are, are very very similar. Um, but uh, but yeah, like I said, I do think there is an intrinsic knowing that you've that something is right or wrong or not, and if you're consistently um, getting things if you consistently know that something's wrong then it's time to kind of look at your process or try and kind of think whether you're working with the right clients or whether you're working on the right novel or the right short story or whatever it might be it's that constant um kind of intrinsic reflection i think is as important as getting feedback from someone else don't get into a position where you just hopefully where where you hopefully you won't be in a position where you're kind of just churning things out where you stop kind of looking at whether it's any good or not and sometimes, and sometimes, it, whether uh, in terms of conversion, sometimes something might not convert, if that's the right yeah. phrase, and there's nothing you can do about it. It could be that the, that the rest of the client's campaign is absolutely useless. It could be that the design was rubbish. Or that the concept, actually, that they came to you with was something that was flawed, for instance. Exactly. That's possible. You might do a great job writing really effective copy for it, but actually it might have turned out that the concept was something that was hard to sell. I mean, I can think of a, an example from my past where that was the case where, you know, the concept was a hard sell. It was this idea of um, getting um, 
getting someone to sort of sell the internet to someone else and show them how to use it. And it was a difficult sell. And actually, even though we did a really good job, I think, producing a campaign for that, ultimately it was quite difficult to sort of um, get give a message by proxy almost, which mm. is what we were trying to do. So yeah. sometimes you can go back to the start. But I think what you're saying is absolutely right, that... That power of analysis and the ability to um, to write reflect reflectively, if that's the if that's the phrase, um, or to reflect um, reflective practice is something that you've got to um, do all the time, as well as your your output itself and writing the words. You've got to be analysing, you've got to be editing, you've got to be thinking. And as you say, you as a writer do know when you when something's good and when you've sort of all the 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 extra words fall away, and actually you're producing copy that's taught, that's doing a good job, but that also has got mm-hmm. an emotional connect as well. Do you have a favourite strap line? This is completely separate, but do you have a, what's your favourite strap line? Oh, that's line a really hard question. That's so hard. I can't, I like lots of things, but it's always difficult to remember. Have you got one in mind? Of course, that's what oh, I was Oh, no. You see, I, I forgot that you did that. I've got no interest in yours whatsoever. My favourite... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not coming back now, that's it. <laughs> it, it isn't my best strap line. Uh, and it wasn't particularly effective. But my favourite strap, like this is, my, I can't even remember when it was. It was for a, um, a, um, a company who uh, were using food to um, make social change, and they had a flapjack. And I had a strap line, and it was like launching this new flapjack. Yes. And I, I particularly like flapjack, which is why it was partly why it was my favourite. And my strap line was life changing flapjack. That's a great strapline, Ian. Well, even though you've just offended me, I can still acknowledge professionally that that is a very good strapline. <laughs> I liked it because it's ridiculous. And I couldn't quite believe that the client went for it. I kind of put it in as a joke and they went, oh, we like that one. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So I, I don't know if that's answered those questions or not, but um, uh, I, I think it's... Uh, I, I, above all, I think there are two ways to know if something's any good or not. First of all, it's ask someone else. But secondly, it's kind yeah. of look hard within yourself yeah. and really, really, really try and ask yourself whether it's the best it can possibly be. And um, it's never easy to do that. Oh, I thought of a strap line. I thought of what my favourite strap line was. Go for but it. But I hadn't realised you meant one that I'd written. I was trying to think of someone else, as you say. This is a very egocentric It's always me, me, me with you, honestly. Um, no, but, but really, it's not. Um, it was probably um, Art Prince... Um, no, I'm going to get it wrong now. Prince? No, I've got it wrong. That's terrible. That's terrible. That's the Prosecco talking. It is a Prosecco talking. I'm going to shut up now. It was actually my husband's strap line, but um, but it was something to do with um, art prints and gifts that people love about where they live, but it was a bit... It was a bit shorter than that. If you find it to us, we'll put it on your... Is that post, all right? Post, post it to Twitter and we will... Um, I'll put a link to it in the Thank show notes. Thank you. It's, it's the least I'm owed. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us uh, this week in uh, place of Donna. Donna is not here again next week. Um, I haven't got any uh, any uh, concrete plans as to what I'm doing next week, but it's going to be fantastic. You should definitely tune in. Uh, where can people find you on the internet, Manuela? Um, they can find me on Twitter. Uh, it's man, at Manuela Boyle, and I'm happy to, to chat to anyone. And you can find my new website, ianbroom.com, and you can find uh, me on Twitter too, at uh, Ian Broom and uh, do get in touch if you have any uh, questions of your own or if you have any comments um, uh, pos- positive comments primarily not really that interested in negative comments it's just just too upsetting really so um, <laughs> with that I'll uh, speak to you next week <laughs>